Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. Before COVID, self-harm was on the rise, specifically within the middle school uh, grades. I worked with uh, a, a counselor or a therapist who dealt primarily with adolescents and this particular portion of self-harm. And her feedback to me was the middle school ages between grades uh, six and eight, there has been an increase. And this was before COVID. What COVID did, in my estimation, was it exacerbated people who were already having uh, some mental health challenges. So those who were thinking about self-harm, when you add the isolation part, they feel as if they don't have anybody to speak to. You were just listening to Robert Allen, a mental health coach and expert, a business consultant who has taken a close look at the many pressing issues facing Americans and workers in the world of COVID and beyond. And he is my guest coming up. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political and social upheaval Life on Planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Well, I hope you're all doing very well. We have a fascinating guest coming up in a wee moment, Robert Allen, who is out with his new book, Self-Care, Let's Start the Conversation, which is regarded as a refreshing conversation on healthy self-care concepts. We'll talk about that in the age of COVID and everything from stress to burnout. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. When, when we shift back the other way, you have to look at burnout was a real thing. Stress and burnout was a real thing before COVID. Yeah. So if people return to their usual or normal day of life, then they enter from one stressful situation to the next stressful situation and where I come in and, and try to provide a little guidance and a little light is we have to deal with the stress, whether it's on this side or this side. Let me just say that joy is that special quality that makes one healthier, wealthier and wiser. But a joyful outlook is a tough thing to muster in the post-pandemic age of economic decline and social unrest. Fortunately, a new book is bringing hope and timely, actionable advice people can use to better their lives in the post-COVID era. From the ambassador of joy, Barry Shore comes, The Joy of Living, How to Slay Stress and Be Happy. Part workbook, part bullet journal, part memoir, this book serves as an inspirational guide to happiness and self-improvement in a time of unease and misgiving. Author Barry Shore shares his incredible story of perseverance after being afflicted with a crippling disease that left him completely paralysed overnight. Rather than wallow in self-pity, Shore instead chose to better his life and the lives of others, discovering the joy of living regardless of circumstances. In The Joy of Living, How to Slay Stress and Be Happy, 
Shaw reveals 11 unusual yet practical strategies for finding peace and happiness each day. To order your book, please go to barryshore.com forward slash book. That's barryshore.com forward slash book. B-A-R-R-Y-S-H-O-R-E dot com forward slash book. Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo Jelly Jelly adjective Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same Visit AdoptUSKids.org Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services AdoptUSKids and the Ad Council my guest is Robert Allen. He's the CEO of New Dimensions Consulting Services Solutions. He's a mental health activist and growth coach, and he has a new book out, Self-Care, Let's Start the Conversation. Well, we talk about everything in my interview, so fascinating. And next time we catch up with Robert Allen, We'll talk about his memories of Detroit City since he made his move to a new locale. You'll enjoy Robert. He has lots to say about the world of COVID, mental health and stress and much more. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Welcome to my show, Robert. Hello. Thanks. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate being here. Where are you today? Uh, Today I am in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I know you're originally out of the Detroit area. We could talk about that in a little bit. But as I said in the introduction, uh, you're in the mental health industry. It covers a lot of ground and you've done a lot uh, in your career and in your life. And you have a lot of very deep insights. And it's a good time to talk about mental health, psychological health, how people are feeling, because we're now just coming out of COVID-19, the restrictions have been lifted almost everywhere, even though there are some mandates. It's not quite the way it used to be. It's getting close to the new normal. Um, How do you see it? Well, interesting you should say that. Uh, COVID has really hit us hard, you know, as a nation, as a world. And so from the mental health standpoint, we've seen an increase of of mental health related uh, sessions. Uh, So I served in Las Vegas area, served as a CPC, clinical professional counselor, and served at a private practice as well as uh, a senior living facility uh, to provide uh, mental health services to uh, the geriatric uh, population. But on uh, uh, on the private side or clinical private side, we've seen a a vast influx of people who are just burnt out. Uh, they, uh, they're stressed out. Uh, depression has <laughs> made an all-time high. Uh, I believe the numbers globally, 350 million people are affected by depression or mood-based uh, uh, ailments, mental health challenges. Wow, they're big numbers. And according to the headlines, COVID has made things worse. Social isolation, um, the unemployment, of course, uh, that cuts into 
people's personal dignity and purpose in life. And it's a meal check and very important. Social distancing has created psychological distancing. Uh, You've seen all that. Yes, we've seen so much in the mental health uh, industry with regards to people breaking under the stress of the unknown. You know, uh, from the Las Vegas standpoint, uh, being in Las Vegas, those in the casino industry who really depended on uh, tourism and and receiving tips and and, and all of that, going from making a hundred thousand plus a year to being on unemployment, even with the additional three hundred dollars that the government was giving uh, uh, individuals, it was a big change. Children not being able to go to school, having to be uh, in the home almost all the time, uh, families having to spend a, a great deal of time together that they wasn't previously able to do. Um, when you're able to go to work, uh, you're able to lend your skills and make money and things like that. When children are, able, children are able to go to school, they're able to expend a certain amount of energy. But when you group everybody together and tell them that you can't do any of these things that allowed you those outlets before. Marriages were under great distress because I've never had to spend this amount of time with my spouse. So from the mental health standpoint, uh, we've seen an influx of people who are not only just stressed out, the stress leads a great deal to the depression, if that makes sense, John. Oh, yeah. And uh, so you've dealt with all these cases and are dealing with them. Self-harm, drug overdose, mm-hmm. alcoholism. You've seen all of that? Uh, is, is You know what? Interestingly enough, is, is very prevalent within the younger generations. I believe uh, the statistics is between 15 and 44. Uh, you've seen, we've seen a, a great deal of influx between uh, self-harm. Uh, and oddly enough, between in the middle school arena of grades six through eight, an increase in self-harm. And so drug addictions and alcoholism, a big increase between even as low as middle school all the way through uh, college, 24, 25. So you'll say from 13 to about 25. And that's not including uh, the 25 to 44 a uh, year old individuals as well. So in terms of young people, adolescents, school going kids, students, is that because of the social isolation that they're not in an in-person classroom situation? Is that what contributes to that problem? Before uh, COVID, self-harm was on a rise, specifically within the middle school uh, grades, middle school grades. I worked with a, uh, a, a counselor or a therapist who dealt primarily with adolescents and this particular portion of self-harm. And her feedback to me was the middle school ages between grades uh, six and eight, there has been an increase. And this was before COVID. What COVID did, in my estimation, was it exacerbated people who were already having uh, some mental health challenges. So those who were thinking about self-harm, when you add the isolation part, they feel as if they don't have anybody to speak to. Uh, let's say a child was isolating uh, or self-harming due to uh, issues with her parents. Now you have the parents there all day, 
So their trigger, which could have been their parents, has exacerbated them wanting to self-harm even more, if that makes sense. Yes. So that's tragic. It's sad. It's very interesting also that there was a problem there prior to COVID with this young group. Any reasons why that was? I mean, social media, pace of life, social isolation, again, of another kind, perhaps, a domestic turmoil. It could be a lot of things. Well, amongst professionals, others that I know within the mental health profession, social media has played a a big deal in a lot of the self-harming. If I don't get as many likes or uh, if, if people don't like my page or, or love my page, they associate that with their worth. They associate uh, that with being accepted. And so uh, if you have the cool kids or um, even cool, the, the per se, the cool kids have uh, struggles as well. But when you add all of these things together, I'm not as like, they're not accepting me, it leads to self-harm. So what happens when you include isolation into uh, uh, the mix, again, that's just another element or a compounded element which lends to this particular uh, uh, self-harm being exacerbated or, as you said, drug use and alcohol use as well. Yeah, I just find it so ironic. You know, you have friends on Facebook and it's supposed to be a friendly place Mm-hmm. And it's not so friendly when you look at some of the content. And we sort of have a kind of a family rule. We just post the odd thing about a family event, a birthday or something. No politics, no denigrating somebody's character. Just keep that for somewhere else. We've heard the term cyberbullying. Yes, real big, real big. And so that that uh, goes back to what we were speaking about a little earlier about the advance or the increase of self-harm and depression and all of these other ailments, because, you know, before, you know, you may have had maybe one or two bullies in school <laughs> or uh, <laughs> or an adult may have had one or two bullies. Now you have an inordinate amount of bullies who can bully you or make fun of you. Uh, and so that has to be tough. That has to be tough on, you know, not only just the youth. We see that with adults as well who find their worth in you know, being light. And because they may not have had as many friends in person, they they lean on these friends on the internet to give them validation and acceptance. And when they cross them or go against them or speak, you know, out against them, then that's another blow as I've lost my friends and my followers and those who I wanted acceptance from. I heard a line in a sitcom recently where somebody was saying to the other person in the room, said, oh, our neighbor next door has 150 friends or has 2,000 followers on Twitter. I mean, it's an amazing measure of somebody's worth. It's something kind of phony about it. Yeah, well, you know, I won't get into uh, all of the other intricacies of, of social media, but you can buy. Friends. Although they can follow me on Twitter, I have no problem. <laughs> you know? And so now you, you know, I've heard through the generation of uh, the younger generation, you can buy friends, and you know, yeah. a lot of people are buying friends and, and just friending everyone. 
to get their their stats and their numbers up. And and the cyberbullying is particularly interesting because these same bullies might just hide behind Facebook. They, they could be a very um, introverted people, and the only way they can sort of assert themselves in a very irrational and offensive way is on Facebook or social media. Absolutely. I'll give you a, a quick example. Uh, so, you know, my book, Self Care, Let's Start the Conversation. A great book. RW- <laughs> Thank you. And uh, so, R.W. Allen uh, books, our Facebook page, I, I put, you know, motivational things up. And I had put up uh, uh, a motivational uh, part where I said, you know, taking care of yourself is very important. And it had a, a, a picture with it. Well, someone put on the page something very derogatory mm. uh, and, and whatnot. And so we see this. This is a person I don't even know with some username that I have no clue about. And so when we look at things like that on how mean people can be, uh, you know, we see it everywhere. So from teenagers to adults and everything in between. That's just amazing. Do you think the measures the government has taken and local authorities, let's call that the cure for controlling COVID, you know, the vaccines and the lockdowns and so on? Yeah, that might be on one level a wonderful thing to rid us of this dreadful COVID. And of course, we could get into how serious it is or not. That's not the purpose of this show. But do you think all those measures, while getting rid of COVID, have had this terrible unintended effect which hasn't been addressed you know mental health issues well i think what what covid has done uh with with the government help or or even without it and you know when you talk politics you know mm. <laughs> you know did they do enough did they do <laughs> enough and then the change of presidency in the middle of covid right so that's, <laughs> that's another conversation <laughs> altogether uh but i think what covid has done is um fear the fear mm. of unknown. Um, I've been. Now, let me stop you there, Robert. You, you, that's a very good word, fear, because fear is something that can destroy people's lives and tear them apart. And we had some famous president through history says, we're not the fear, but fear itself. But that, that's literally true. So you yeah. can pick that up there. And so, with, with fear, it's the unknown. Uh, you know, I still have family members who refuse to allow family in uh, hmm. because they they are so scared of contracting this virus. So when you add an element to fear in any human capacity, you know, it creates a level of anxiety. It creates a level of stress. So even if the government was trying to do their all and let's say everything was done right and, if, and effective, you still have people who have lost loved ones that say, where did this virus truly come from? Why did I get it and not? Uh, so I'll be a little transparent here. I contracted COVID and I was the only one in my immediate family, uh, my wife, my children, I was the only one who got it. But I was the one that was at home, uh, not going out, not traveling. I wore my mask when I went out. Mm. And I ended up in the ICU and I was there for, uh, I believe it was three days. And uh, because I have an upper respiratory, I was more, you know, susceptible. And so the doctors was was very worried. And I had what they call COVID pneumonia, hmm. as well as blood clots, wow. which landed me in the ICU. 
I've had family members and good friends who died of COVID. So when you look at, let's just take my my situation with me being in the ICU, the stress and the strain and the uh, emotions that uh, my family went through. Wow. So you're feeling good now? Uh, it took me a while. It took me about uh, nine months and I still have, I'm still not a hundred percent. I'll say I'm probably around 90%. Yeah. Um, but it does illustrate the point. COVID is real. And as um, a podcaster and a journalist and a commentator, I don't underestimate the ravages of COVID. On the other hand, I like to emphasize that it needs to be balanced and there are all other diseases out there and we can't go too far off the deep end uh, right. with oh, no. other sets of problems. Yeah, like um, people underestimate uh, the amount of people who die from pneumonia hmm. every year. Um, when you look at those numbers, uh, traditionally, of those who die from pneumonia, uh, yeah. those numbers are uh, quite larger than COVID numbers. But COVID is what we're dealing with right now. So when you look at people and you look at the unknown and you add fear element uh, to it, and then, you know, the uncertainty, yeah. it, it, it really matters. I feel there's more fear again to use that word, in the world, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. And there's probably some level of irrational activity and mental behavior and neurosis that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. So are we ever going to get over that? Well, you know, I, I think uh, when, when, you, when you think about the flu and how many, when the flu had just came out and before there was a flu vaccination, how many people died of the flu? Uh, so I think we're resilient. I think that we will get past this. It is going to be, it's going yeah. to take time. However, to your point, I think that now more than ever, we really need to take pay attention to the mental health aspect. I'm not sure when the flu came on the scene uh, uh, back in the day that mental health was a significant factor. It was just this is what happened. Let us deal with it. Let us get a vaccination and let's move forward. Uh, now, with mental health being on the rise before COVID and now exacerbated after or during COVID, I think we have a responsibility to pay attention to mental health and what people are saying they're struggling with. Well, that's a good way to lead into my next question, because you have said businesses need to double down on their initiatives post-COVID so that their employees are well prepared. Why do you say that and what sort of initiatives? So typically in, in the workplace, and I think uh, the workforce, they, they try. And so sometimes when you deal with mental health and, and uh, resources for mental health, it ends up in a, uh, in a flyer. It may end up as a blurb in the newsletter or on the website. And it may be a little bit of a promotion to say, hey, we really want you to take care of yourself. But I think we we have to be more innovative in saying, what are some of the struggles and what are some of the needs of the uh, of our employees and, and, and of our staff? So, for instance, uh, we do a lot of surveys on everything else. It would be good for employers to say, hey, work life balance, you know, one to 10. Where would you say? <laughs> uh, yeah. What are some of the things that you would like dealing or information that you would like dealing with stress, mm -hmm. dealing with work-life balance, dealing with depression or dealing with grief? 
what are some of the things that you feel that would be beneficial to you? I think sometimes uh, uh, big companies or big organizations, we don't ask the right questions and we just give people what we think they should have instead of really Mm -hmm. uh, having the person, the person, the person being personable and saying, hey, what's meaningful to you? Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Robert Allen. He's the CEO of New Dimensions Consulting Services Solutions. He's a mental health activist and growth coach, and he has a new book out, Self-Care, Let's Start the Conversation. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. With a lot of companies, I know in the New York area, it looks like they're going to bring a lot of staff back in September. That seems to be the sort of popular date. A lot of employees have been working from home for the past, God, it feels like two years now, but it's not twice. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been so, a little you know, over a year. A you know, in the middle years. of lunch break, they can go out and do the garden or something or go for a run, but it's not going to be like that. They're going to have to drive to work, go take tolls or buses or some of that's grueling and stressful. Do you think we might see a slightly different work-life balance that more employees will be given uh, more opportunity to work from home a few days a week? And is that a good thing? Well, you know, I, I think it's going to be based off the person. Uh, and I think that's, again, something that needs to be uh, talked about and surveyed with companies and employees. Certain jobs will not be able to uh, function as such. Like you can't do as a nurse, you know, you're going to be needed in a hospital. <laughs> so yeah. some of those jobs that we've seen where which was very stressful during COVID, they're not going to get a reprieve to be able to work from home. So they won't have that option. But I think for those who may have the options with, with particular companies, I think where I would where I would be a little cautious is for people going back and doing too much too soon. Hmm. Yeah. So it has to be a slow transition. So, you know, I'm excited. I've been off work for a year, year, 18, uh, 16 months, cooped up in the house. Now I want to go to work and I don't want to come back home. I just want to work all day, which leads <laughs> to another form of burnout. <laughs> yeah, to what, what you are the expert on. And so when, you, when, when we shift back the other way, you have to look at burnout was a real thing. Stress and burnout was a real thing before COVID. Yeah. So if people return to their usual or normal day of life, then they enter from one stressful situation to the next stressful situation. And where I come in and, and try to provide a little guidance and a little light is we have to deal with the stress, whether it's on this side or this side. Mm. Well, it's been a whole different environment uh, during COVID uh, workers, office workers, clearly not people who work on building sites or construction sites, as they call them in America, or law enforcement or nursing or, you know, any professions that require you to be present. The whole dynamics are much different when you work from home. Zoom became very popular. And so Zoom meetings 
replace the boardroom meeting or staff meetings. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious on your take on that because my experience with some of staff meetings, boardroom meetings in the pre-COVID was a lot of idle time and wasted time. Guys talking about the baseball scores, which is wonderful, you know, and you never get down to the point. Whereas with a Zoom meeting, you, know, you get to the point, you get it over, and then you're ready for your next Zoom meeting. So in some ways, those Zoom meetings have created their own kind of stresses versus the traditional way. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I think you said it uh, beautifully. I, I, we have to begin to have some balance. Mm. You don't want to move away from the person to person because you we begin to lose being personable, you know, yeah. in, in the interchange or or the extending of a handshake and, and a smile and, and having that uh, that person to person conversation before the Zoom. So, you know, you may want to get to a meeting five minutes early to speak to a colleague that you haven't spoke to in a while. Uh, Zoom, you can't do that. Yeah. It starts and stops, period. <laughs> yeah, it's quite intense. Yeah. And so we, we've seen Zoom and StreamYard and, and, and all of these other meeting virtual meeting spaces just explode. But yeah, I do yeah. want to say this, um, if, if you allow me, the virtual aspect has also helped in a way. And I'll give you an example. As I've said before, I've, I've lost several family members due to COVID and several friends due to COVID. And before, if I wanted to attend a funeral and I lived out of state, I wasn't able to because I travel arrangements and job responsibilities, but I've been able to be present uh, for some funerals and and things that I would have not been able to be present at had not COVID came because Mm -hmm. we never thought out of the box. Just think about it for a second. Um, You you really never heard of a COVID funeral. Yeah. I mean, not a COVID funeral, but a Zoom funeral. it's, It's extraordinary. And so... It, it again, it's that balance. It sucks because for the people who are there that could not attend the funerals, it was hurtful. And, you know, that's one part of it. The other part of it for those who were at a distance who would have loved to have been there had the chance to be there. You have your own practice. You wear a lot of hats. You give a lot of talks. You consult with companies. Uh, and you also have a new book out, which you mentioned earlier, and uh-huh. uh, we mentioned in the introduction. Tell us about the book and maybe a little bit about your practice. So uh, the book, it was, uh, it, 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 it is my baby. Um, so the book is called Self-Care, Let's Start the Conversation. And I go into so many different elements with regards to the book. The first chapter deals, as you and I've been talking on, on the show, about stress and the effects of stress. And I'll give you one statistics. Uh, 110 million people die a year due to stress-related ailments. A lot of times, you know, we're so used to dealing with stress, we don't really understand or take the time to really think of how does stress really affect me in the long run? And so self-care, I, I deal with the myths of what self-care is and what it is not. Uh, a lot of times and a lot of people that I talked to had the impression that self-care meant that you were being selfish. They didn't associate self-care with being taking care of myself so that I can actually really be present 
with other people so that I can really be present and enjoy life and enjoy those who I come in contact with. And so the book addresses a, a, a myriad of particular myths. Uh, it talks about accountability par- partners and coaching. And so what we've done is uh, my company has taken self-care, let's start the conversation, and we build training and retreats. And we go into various companies uh, to express to companies how you can actually profit by implementing things for staff to take care of themselves because they're happier. If they have a a better work-life balance, then it actually increases your productivity. So it's two, you make a happier worker, happier staff, happier leadership, which leads to what you produce in your customer base being happier because they're receiving uh, better customer customer service. Is it easy to get that message across to employees about self-care and the steps they have to take? You know what? No, I think it's more more about getting the, the businesses and organizations on to understand the, the real true importance of self-care. We have the opportunity to do a training and I'll just use them for example. Uh, it was an extremely diverse uh, staff. It was about a staff of about 200 people. And this was in the education sector. And when I say it was diverse, I mean diverse in terms of uh, cultures and ethnicities. And when we got into the training for the self-care, Zoom almost shut down with the amount of feedback that we were getting when we were asking questions and we were bringing certain elements out. And people said, that's me. I identify with that. The chat was just... So it was uh, a Zoom meeting. We did it in the midst of COVID. And so it was extraordinary, the amount of feedback that was happening real time to the point that we had to do several different sessions because we had to break it up. Jeez. <laughs> Due to the feedback. And when I spoke with the director of, of this educational uh, center, she said to me, I've never had a training that engaged my staff on that level. And it was, you know, we were happy. My staff, were we were happy because we were really able to meet the need. And a lot of people said, I didn't even know that I was dealing with this until you brought it up. I didn't know that I had an issue with work-life balance until you brought it up and, and brought out certain elements to make me think. So, for instance, at the end of each chapter of the book, it's a, it's a part called the reflective pause. And the reflective pause causes the reader to really think from their point of view. Uh, let's say culture, for example. You and I, we may be from two completely different cultures. And when you look at it from that aspect, culturally speaking, I was raised that you always had to stay busy. You always had to stay busy. And if you wasn't busy, then, you know, it was too much idle time. So I never was trained or taught how to care for myself or how to take time for me. So when you look at it from a cultural standpoint, how many other different cultures or ethnicities was trained in that same way that you just continue to push and move and, and, and go forward? So you're getting the message out to the staff, take care of yourselves. It's a tough one to implement, I would think. I mean, what sort of practical steps 
would they adopt? Make sure you take your lunch break. Don't work at the desk. Maybe go for a long walk, go to the gym or read whatever. I mean, just they may <laughs> say, sim- I, I'm sure there are some, yeah. some of these things in, in, in the aggregate seem simple, but they're not so simple when people don't do them. Right. Right. And so if you don't practice something, then you, you can't perfect it or get good at it. And a yeah. lot of people are horrible at practicing self-care for themselves. So yeah. they just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And so when you talk about practical steps, here's here's one for you. The art of saying no, not right now. <laughs> Using me, for example, I was the workaholic. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, I had a successful. Well, I mean, uh, that's pretty obvious, Robert, as far <laughs> as you come with all your degrees and your book and everybody you've consulted. I hope you're taking it a little easier now. <laughs> you know what? I had to learn. And, and that was one of the purposes of the book. I had to learn mm. that I didn't have to be the best at everything and I didn't have to do everything. And I could not be all things to everybody and then nothing for myself. Yeah. So when we talk about the degrees, a lot of the degrees that I that I have was not due to I really wanted the degree. It was taught to me. Well, education is important and you need to go as far as you can. So I did. I have four degrees. But if you if, if we're talking transparently, I really didn't want all four. So, again, what are you doing for you and to please you and to make you happy versus what are you doing to please and make other people happy? Because that's what was taught, taught to you or what you assume to be as the right thing to do. So, so that we're clear about this, this is not the same as selfishness, right? I mean, you're not saying ignore your family and neighbors. No. And so definitely not saying that. So in the book, I, t- I go over four pillars. And they're called the four R's. And so the first is to retreat. Why retreat? Retreat to simply remove yourself or to get away from. The second is reflect. When you're able to get away from the stimulus or that which is stressing you and reflect on kind of how you feel, paying attention to your body, mindfulness, what's going on with you, what's working, what's not. Then you move into the third R which is to replenish what fills your cup in your most needful space. Mm-hmm. So John, for you, for instance, what, what filled your cup? And when I mean by filled your cup, what made you happy or bring you joy in your twenties is quite different than mm-hmm. what brings you joy now. Currently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and so that's where the book goes that self-care is progressive. It's not stagnant. So the things that you did in your teenage years, 20s, 30s, 40s, is going to change as you evolve and as things from moving from just a regular staff member to a supervisor. What you need at that point as a supervisor, now that you're leading people, will be very different. In your practice and in the clients you meet, is there any one thing that stands out in your mind in terms of the mental health industry, is there any one issue that's the biggest one out there? I am going to say stress. Stress. I'm going to say stress. And would you say stress is worse now than it was years ago, decade ago? Absolutely. Yeah. It's get- Absolutely. And it's getting worse? It's getting worse because we are conditioning to be more and more competitive. Competition. Competition. So what with each other and 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 in business, perhaps. Yes, in in every aspect. 
and every competitive. <laughs> for instance, look how competitive the market is right now for housing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, everything now is moving towards being more and more competitive. Mm. And so, with with the comp- competition bar being raised higher, that means you have to work twice or three times as hard to meet the minimum of what it was a decade ago. So what do you tell people who suffer from that kind of stress? Don't be always comparing yourself to others and just do what's good for you and that you can pay the bills and you have your house roof over your head or is it that simple? No, because it's not that simple and it takes, it's going to take steps. And again, Mm -hmm. self-care being progressive, it can't be all or nothing. And I think that's kind of what we get to. Um, I'm so stressed out. I'm going to go on vacation and that's going to relieve my stress only to come back to the same issues that you had before you went on vacation. Right. So some things will deal with us taking small chunks out and saying, let me get my arms around it. Um, what if you can't take a vacation? Well, part of your retreat will be taking 15, 20 minutes. That's going to be meaningful to you. Self-care. Let's start the conversation is the name of your book. Yes, sir. Okay, let's look at the big picture going forward on the horizon. Are you optimistic about the future that we will have a more enlightened culture and mental health perspective with the kind of insights you and perhaps others are coming up with? Or are we facing a disaster that will just have to be dealt with by family and mental health professionals? I most certainly hope. It is, it is my hope and my desire that we are moving towards a more uh, uh, self-care and mental health aware culture. That is my extreme and my, my hope and my desire. Well, that's a beautiful way to finish up the interview. Robert Allen, thank you for being my guest. I thank you. I had an amazing time. It was lovely speaking to you, John. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.